Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen, Jackie Chan gives Hong Kong the boot, Iron Man 3 gets some China cred, trailers abound, and we look at the films Love and Time, My Sassy Hubby, and The Hobbit. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and lots of stuff in between. It is Wednesday, December 19th, 2012, uh, about a week before Christmas. We've been on hiatus for a couple weeks because we've been quite busy, uh, but we're glad to be back. As usual, I'm your host, Paul Fox, and joining me from his super secret location right here in the Fragrant Harbor is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hello, everybody. Uh, hey, Paul, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How's your December so far? Are you in the holiday spirit? Have you been out, uh, you know, uh, rubbing elbows at the at the malls and shopping and uh, making Christmas lists and checking them twice? <laughs> well, I, I don't do much of that, that, that Christmas stuff, but um, my parents uh, came to, I guess I have early holiday, I suppose. My, my, my family came, uh, my parents uh, specifically came to town uh, for the first couple of weeks in December, which is why... We haven't been able to record, uh, so I apologize to to all the listeners out there, uh, and of course Paul. But um, yeah, a very special holiday season this year because uh, well, first my parents came, I got to hang out with them for two weeks. Uh, but my niece it will be coming into the world apparently very soon, uh, right after Christmas. Wow! So congratulations. To look forward to this year. Yeah, that's excellent. Excellent news. Uh, is she gonna be? Is it look like a January date or end of December? No, it's it's definitely end of December mm. right now, but uh, you never know. I mean, there it, it's set. We set they set a date for the operation, yeah, uh, for the birth. But uh, you know, things could happen early. So she could be uh, a Christmas so, baby. So so there is a chance that we might have a Christmas baby in, wow. in the Moffat. That would be awesome. Um, well, that's great news. Congratulations for that. Uh, I've been. My family is now here. Uh, they just came in, uh, you know, a couple days ago, and they have they're still very jet lagged, but they are spending lots and lots of time with uh, my little one and uh, pretty much ignoring me, but that's okay because <laughs> I've been super busy. It's the end of the semester. In fact, my last teaching day was yesterday and um, I'm just now sort of almost caught up uh, from the work that I kind of fell behind on when I was sick last month. And so I'm just now sort of getting back to the pace of normality as far as work is concerned. And I'm really looking forward to having some more quality time with my family now that they're here. Unfortunately, I don't know if I mentioned this last time, they're flying back on Christmas Day. So that's kind of a bummer. So we're going to have a little bit of an early Christmas. This is actually my first Christmas in Hong Kong since the year I moved to Hong Kong. I've spent every Christmas back in the U.S. with my family. Um, they're quite traditional when it comes to you know Christmas and family being together. And so rather than having them have to make the trek over here... I've always kind of taken it on myself, and I like being back in the U.S. for Christmas. It's a, it's a different feeling that it is here, and I think we talked about that a little bit before. But um, 
I'm glad they're here. They're having a great time with the baby and I'm having a good time kind of showing them around and just, you know, having some family time. I actually booked a couple tickets today to go and see Santa. It's going to be baby's first Christmas and uh, we're going to take her to see Santa. Ooh, uh, you, you got to put the, the picture on a... Uh... Uh, on the blog or yeah yeah on, on I'm, I'm ho if the pictures come out well uh, I, I will put them up i might kind of you know pixelate out my face because that tends to ruin any picture uh that's there but uh oh, oh <laughs> we'll uh we'll deal with that in due time so yeah i will try and and get that up for uh interested folks to see um but yeah i'm hoping everybody's having a nice christmas of course really just ter tremendously terrible news with uh what's happening in the u.s with uh, the school shooting and I'm, i know that's probably on people's minds and you know my thoughts go out to you know families i i was talking with my wife you know it's after having our own child we we really feel so much more connected to things that happen to kids mm -hmm. and it's just really really you know a terrible terrible tragedy and uh, i hope that uh, if you're listening to this show you don't have any friends or family who are directly involved but nonetheless it's very difficult to not empathize with uh, what's going on in the u.s right now um, but that being said, I hope everybody is having a very nice holiday and you're with friends, family, and loved ones, and you can hold each other a little bit tighter. But we are not here just to talk about Christmas stuff. We are here to talk about movies. Mr. Ma, what movies are we going to be talking about this week? Wow, you, you talked really fast just now. Sorry. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> no, anyway, I, I'm, I'm not used to it. For e-screen, we'll be talking about um, Love in Time, the romantic comedy from director Lee Fire, starring Steffi and um, Steffi Tang and, and Bosco Wan. Uh, also, uh, we'll be talking about My Sassy Hubby, the long-awaited sequel to My Wife is 18, starring Egan Chan and Charlene Choi. And for West Screen, we'll be talking about The Hobbit, uh, An Unexpected Journey, or the first of a 15-hour trilogy. <laughs> when one can only hope, right? 15 hours of The Hobbit. Um, <laughs> Uh, all of that and a little bit more coming up right after a little bit of news. All right, so uh, it's been a you couple have rusty weeks. Fingers today. Yeah, my fingers are all kind of rusty, and and uh, I don't know where the buttons are. Um, but hopefully, I'll. It's it's like riding a bike. You know, I'll get back into it uh, as the show goes on. A uh, couple bit of news stories that have happened in the past couple weeks since we've been away. Um, Probably this first news story, a bit controversial, uh, depending on your perspective and where you might be living in the world currently. Um, but our old friend Jackie Chan, he's kind of uh, given Hong Kong the boot. And now uh, we've talked about Jackie Chan before and the context of the work that he does. And he's now working more and more with uh, mainland China in terms of, you know, co-productions and the film work that he's doing. And you know, the films he's done in the last couple of years for me have been hit or miss. I really loved Little Big Soldier. We've talked about that in the past and reviewed it. Um, what was the one he did last year? The about, 1911. Yeah, 1911. Not, not, not a big fan of that one. Uh, he's got another film coming out. We're going to see it this week, and we'll be talking about it next on next week's show, I guess. And um, so, yeah, there's a... Apparently, what has happened is he came out and he made a statement. Now, the statement you can find on lots of different film sites. Uh, the one link that I'm putting up is Huffington Post because it's not behind a paywall, but the original one I read was on South China Morning Post. And so basically he was doing an interview. I guess he's out promoting his own film uh, in the mainland. And during the interview, they're talking about Hong Kong as a city of protests. And he basically came out, he said, quote, there should be regulations on what can and cannot be protested. Uh, Chan told the Southern People Weekly, 
which published his comments Wednesday. This was a, a week ago, Wednesday. He didn't say what oh, kinds of protest he thought should be restricted, right? I thought um, it was Asia, Asia, magazine, Asia Weekly or something like that. Um, well, the, um, it could be. Maybe the... Yeah, he, he told a magazine anyway. Huff, Huffington Post got this wrong, but uh, they, they listed as Southern People Weekly, so... Um, <clears throat> so yeah, he basically came out and he threw Hong Kong under the bus, made a lot of people here angry, um, in part, I think made me angry because of the nature of the industries he's in and the fact that much of his fame and good fortune from the seventies, the eighties and into the nineties, you know, was built from Hong Kong and, and by the you know, the support of Hong Kong people. And I know that there's been some bad blood since then. You know, we get into the 2000s and you've got rampant piracy here. That's the time I came over and I kind of saw a lot of it firsthand. And that hit him and his the industry in, in a very hard manner. So maybe he's still resentful of that. Of course, he had some personal scandals, which um, were hotly published in the local media. And I think that probably rubbed him the wrong way as well. And so he's lost a lot of his former golden boy status that he at one time had. And he's found, of course, you know, most people can recognize that he is chasing money in the mainland. That's where the money is. And we maybe can't really blame him for that. But then to come back and make these statements um, seems to add insult to injury for a lot of people. And I'm very curious to get your thoughts on this, you know, this whole incident as, um, you know, somebody who's also had a very long standing sort of relationship uh, with his films and him as a celebrity yeah um yeah of course what he says is you know it's offensive but it's not the new it's not the first time he says something like this i think a couple years ago maybe he said uh and i quote chinese people need to be controlled and obviously that was um you always feel like he's he's only speaking to whoever gives him money Mm -hmm. uh in a way after after he lost willie chan as a manager he's kind of had to deal with things on his own or publicity on his own, and and he's been saying these. Uh, well, he had the baby scandal, of course. Yeah. Um, and then he, he, and then he just sort of lost. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he lost his marbles. I think it's just then he became this dog off his leash. You know, saying things whatever he wanted. That's like off the top of his head, which which included, yes, Chinese people need to be controlled, and uh, Hong Kong people protest too much. They need to be restricted. Um, Obviously, he's talking to to the Chinese, um, his financiers in China, yeah. or people who support him in China. Yeah. Um, but actually, the normal uh, everyday people in China, um, people who are more, who are more hip, so to speak, or who are more wise to 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 things like this, they know that Ch- Jackie Chan is trying too hard to to pander to them. Hmm. Um, even 1911 didn't succeed in China for a reason. It's because Jackie Chan isn't even that popular in China in the first place either mm-hmm. among younger people. Mm-hmm. Um, he still has a, I'm sure he still has a degree of popularity among uh, older audiences, including in Hong Kong. He still has a lot of respect in the industry. But outside of that, I think for young audiences, he's, he's kind of old and, and he, his, his, his um, reputation hasn't been the best. And um, his movies haven't been that good. So... In a way, I heard I've heard one one theory that the only reason he's saying this a week and a half, two weeks before before his movie's coming out is because he need he needed an excuse to explain to explain to people when the movie flops in Hong Kong hmm. because Jackie Chan hasn't had a good movie hasn't had a movie that performed well here in Hong Kong since uh, Rob Hood, hmm. I think, and that's a good five six years. 
Yeah. So, so you know, I, I think that he had an idea that Chinese Zodiac wasn't going to do well in Hong Kong, and he needed an excuse. He would just now he would blame um, Hong Kong people for for you know um, taking it personally what, for what he said to the press. Uh, oh, it's because I, I I voiced my opinion. It's because I say I say what I think. So people blame me for it and didn't watch my movie. So it's not my movie's fault. It's it's just the people's fault. Mm. Uh, so in a way, that's that's in a way that's kind of clever. You know, to to kind of kill his own publicity, to to kill himself publicly here in Hong Kong, to to rescue his movie's reputation. Um, but anyway, I, I don't think he's gonna. He's already trying to defend himself. Uh, I saw him last week on on TV Entertainment News, and he's already uh, spewing things like, "I'm just an ordinary guy. I don't know why it's such a big deal." Trying to defend himself like that, which again totally continues that narrative. You know, it's not my fault. It's not the movie's fault. It's just uh, people take take what I say personally, even though they shouldn't. Uh, that narrative, and he's not coming back to Hong Kong anytime soon. Uh, Police Story 2013, which just started shooting, is about Beijing cops. Hmm. So clearly, he's not interested in the Hong Kong market anymore. Just as the, uh, in the same way that Hong Kong audiences aren't interested in Jackie Chan movies anymore. Yeah. So, um, you know, sorry, but uh, honestly, we'd be. I guess I'm guessing that Hong Kong audiences would be happy to cut ties with Jackie Chan, and we would wish that he would he, he had gone out or he had left the industry in a nicer more positive more positive circumstances but if this is the way that he needs to leave or this is the way that has to go then so be it yeah um i'll po- i'll post another link that's um sort of a a related response to this from also from last week but it's in the south china money post so it's behind a bit of a paywall but basically uh the name of this second article is called um so Jackie Chan thinks protesting should be limited. He must have forgotten these photos. And then it's a listing of photos of him uh, involved in protests, including one from November 2002, when he was at the forefront of a protest against the publication of the East Week magazine's front picture of a naked and distressed uh, actress. Uh, I think it was Karina Lau uh, at the time. So he protested with a bunch of other celebrities out at the government office. And then an earlier protest from August 1996 when he joined other Hong Kong movie stars to join a protest against triad violence. And I seem to recall, I could be wrong, but I thought he also was in a protest in early 2000 against uh, piracy as well. But um, you know, he's not, he's not saying that protests should be limited. He's saying that pro- people shouldn't whine about the government so much. Well, so, so in a way, he's gonna he's gonna come out and say, "No, I protested. What I protested were righteous cause." Um, unlike the Hong Kong people who were just screaming at the government yeah, but because I mean, they're against everything government does, that, which that, is what he's really, that's really a, what he's that's really a, saying. But that's a "do as I say, not as I do" argument, and exactly, I, I think that's just bunk. And again, going back to the fact that he is a person who himself. I mean, we talk about the nature of free speech and politics and everything, and that's fine, but even film as a medium, uh, sure, it's an artistic medium, but it's also also a medium of speech. And, you know, the idea that he's made a considerable fortune exercising his free speech, a free speech which, you know, I I think that if you went back to the 70s and, and when he became popular in the 80s, um, a lot of his films wouldn't have gotten airtime in China because of some of the themes and some of the things they would have gotten. You know, it's only after things have opened up a bit further um, that, and and especially with his more international, uh, the growth of his international celebrity, you might say, um, when he started working more in Hollywood, that I think that uh, he started being allowed to have more of a presence in, uh, in the mainland. And now, of course, you know, he caters to that. He creates stories 
that are going to be well received uh, in the mainland. It's very simple. He he goes to where the money is, and then he says great things. Like when he went to Hollywood, he even though actually his English is supposed to be quite good, he does he did that fake fake Chinese accent thing, you know, yeah. for Americans yeah. or for and, Westerners. And, uh, he did that funny Chinaman thing, the you thing know, in, in public. Yeah, the, and, and I don't blame him for stuff like that. But when you when you just totally throw the the place you grew up in and the place that made you uh, under the bus like that, and the people who are still kind of struggling here. Uh, you just really lose all respect in my eyes. I mean, he lost, a, he lost for, for me, he lost a ton of respect with his, you know, his family issue. And I, I won't really get into that here. You can go look all that stuff up online. But, you know, he had this whole golden boy kind of, I'm the Mr. Nice Guy image that he tried to promote through his film characters and through his own personality. And he did that to the West. You know, he had the whole Jackie Chan Adventures uh, cartoon series and coming on and lecturing about morality in in these things and then it's just such a double standard uh, especially after some of the things he said in in response to his actions that just really kind of dimmed his star in in my eyes uh, but i was i was as i was saying to some other people i think on, over on google plus i said i still have andy lau so i'm happy well, and even Andy, you know, last year he went on CCTV on the Chinese New Year and ra- and and threw, you know, waved to the Chinese flag and performed for CCTV. Yeah, and you know, and it's gonna happen again this year. So yeah. again, no- he's getting he's getting a paycheck. I don't blame him that, but you don't see Andy Lau throwing. There, somebody said something about he did something and he like dissed his dad or his or his father in law or, or something. A little bit controversial, but you just don't. You don't, I mean, he's still a. He's still a well-respected person in yeah, Hong yes. Kong. Yes, I think I think the wisest thing that NDR has done is has been to not talk about politics. Yeah, unlike unlike even though China Chinese politics Chinese entertainment industry or China in general Chinese society is a very politicized society in a way that you have to say political politically correct things to get ahead in China. Andy Lau has been very clever to not say anything regarding politics yeah. at any circumstance, even during the Dao Yu thing. That is true. Uh, so, Jackie Chan, take a lesson from Andy Lau and shut your mouth. Uh, Mushu <laughs> has this to mouth. say. Hey, dragon, oh. dragon, not... Not that one, this one. All right, that's it. Dishonor. Dishonor on your whole family. Make a note of this. Dishonor on you. Dishonor on your cow. Yeah, I'm still pressing wrong buttons. <laughs> <laughs> still, and, still rusty. Uh, Michael Wong has this to say about Jackie. Seduced by the dark side he was. So there you have it. Uh, you can look up more. Oh, oh no, there, there's one other story. Now this came out. Uh, oh yeah. This the came post. out. I, I guess or, this week. Now it, it made me wonder if this was a response to some of the people pointing fingers and saying that he was out protesting against triads and stuff back in the '90s. Um, <clears throat> this is unfortunately another South China Morning Post article mm-hmm. um, that perhaps you can dig up somewhere else. But I'll put the link in the notes. Um, Police to question Jackie Chan on gun claims, right? So apparently, um, Jackie said that uh, in the past he was bullied by triads, and uh, they used guns to threaten and extort money. And uh, in the past, that's one of the reasons why he went to the U.S. and he hid in the United States. He says they opened fire at him once when he got off an airplane. And he said, from that moment on, I needed to carry a gun every day when I went out, when I returned to Hong Kong, ate outside, he says one time more than 20 people surrounded me with melon knives. Um, I, I, I'm wondering if he's confusing like a scene from his movie with reality. I don't know. Um, no, it, it was a very volatile period in, in Hong Kong, yeah. but 
Um, I, I have a feeling that he's more like the he's more like a Chan Fat story where you know he gets gun pointed to his head and yeah. where he's begging for his life. But I, I, you know, well, that's his history speaking. To who me. knows? He uh, he goes on to say that um, he says I pulled out a gun and I had two more concealed. I told them that they had been going too far and that I had been hiding from them. Later on, I confronted them with two guns and six grenades. So Jackie Chan Rambo. Uh, Someone should tell Jackie Chan there's no stature limitation for this kind of stuff. Yeah, so, you know, guns are illegal here in Hong Kong, and I think, I'm pretty sure grenades are too, so the police want to <laughs> find out more about this. Maybe they were just movie props. Right? It, it, the, the joke is that the triads weren't even carrying guns, and he was, so, so you know. Yeah, because the triads don't. They, they, they chop yeah. people. They don't, they don't shoot people. They don't and, carry illegal weapons, so but, actually Jackie's in trouble here. And the reason why... They chop people. It's not because they want to kill them. It's because they want to send a message. So they'll they'll chop you up and they'll leave you alive. That's their modus operandi usually. Um, so yeah, uh, kind of. I don't know. Does does this uh, kind of seem like a Jackie's going the way of a uh, O.J. Simpson a little bit? You know, getting a little bit nutty and talking about carrying around guns and things. No, I think I think he. Let's not give him too much credit. I think it's going to be more like Charlie Sheen. Okay. <laughs> All right. Winning. Yeah. Winning. He's winning. We'll leave it at that. Winning. Um, all right. So now some actual movie news. Uh, this is coming from our favorite f- uh, news site, Film Biz Asia. And that's some news about Iron Man 3. Um, and uh, it gets a little bit of a China cred finally assigned to it. There's been a lot of speculation, you know, in the, and there was a lot of talk about uh, uh, Andy Lau originally going to be in it and, you know, people coming out and trying to you know, be the first with the scoop that, yes, it was confirmed, and then no, it wasn't, and back and forth. Well, I, I'm guessing this is finally confirmed. Chinese actor uh, Wang Shuqi has joined the cast of Iron Man 3, uh, which I guess is actually starting to, has already started shooting in uh, Beijing. So this article is a little bit old. It's from December 9th um, by Patrick Freider. Um, the main thing that kind of caught my eye. Now, if you look at his filmography, um, he's worked a lot with Chen Kaiga. He goes back to old films like Yellow Earth from 1984 um, to more current films like Forever Enthralled uh, a few years ago, Sacrifice. But interestingly, um, he was also in Caught in the Web, which I haven't seen, but that's the Oscar contender, right, for the for the coming Oscars. So part of me wonders if this isn't a little bit of a political move to get him out in the... I mean, he won't. The film won't be out before the Oscars, but at least in geek circles, people will be talking and saying, "Hey, who's this guy? What you know? What has he done?" They'll be seeing that this film's going to be up for an Oscar contention and maybe trying to raise some buzz. Am I thinking too much about this, Kevin? What are, What are your thoughts? I I think your point. I I think there's some consideration to be made about your point, but I think it's a little. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's this. I don't think it's it's, it's true. You don't think um, it's 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 no, a, because, it's that because intentional. In, at the end of the day, it's it's um, the Academy who who decides which films to even nominate for mm. the shortlist, and um, I'm not sure if they care. They would be the people who read about Iron Man three uh, news uh, on on the trades. Um, although yes, you, I I do suppose that it would actually raise some buzz for for Cotton Web, but in most most news reports haven't even mentioned that film. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, they haven't mentioned that film. Uh, they mentioned Bodyguards and Assassin and Forever and Fraud, of course. Um, and Wang Shuqi has a has a really rich body of work um, that deserves to be to be to be talked about, of course. And um, it'll be it's a respectable choice for Iron Man Three. Uh, he's been talked he's been talked up for a while. 
um, actually, since I think it was between him and Chen Daoming. Chen Daoming, who was last seen in 1942, back to 1942 as uh, Chiang Kai-shek. Mm-hmm. So, so in the end, they chose Wang Shui-chi, and, and he has been kind of going out uh, to the West. Uh, I think he was a jury, jury member at the Montreal Film Festival. Uh, a couple months ago, and um, yeah, it's no surprise that he's in there now. Actually, I was gonna pretend to fall asleep at the news because I because it's, it's so it's been talked about for so long that oh, there's finally confirmation. Mm. Okay, like oh, it's finally happened. But yeah, it's a respectable choice, and I don't think it's gonna. <coughs> I remember back in um, <coughs> sorry, when Andy Lau was was talked up, I, I I said that it wasn't gonna be a big role anyway. I think mm-hmm. um, that it was maybe a five minute, ten minute role at the most, and. Um, if they're still shooting material right now for a film that opens in five months, I don't think that Beijing shoot is gonna last so long, and and which means that Wang Shuiqi probably still only a five to ten minute role. Yeah. I think. Well, it, uh, according to the article here, it says, and I quote, "He plays a modest size role as Doctor Wu." Okay. Um, I don't know. I think what he that actually. Means. I think he's in the teaser. Is he? In the in the surgery scene, um, I think if he plays Doctor Wu, and he's probably the guy that that's in the uh, face mask in the in the teaser. Mm. Okay, interesting. So he's already done. He's already probably already done scenes for the film, and I guess he's just now doing the outdoor stuff in, in mm. Beijing. Um, that would explain he has a moderate size role, I suppose. And the film is is passed as a co-production, I think, um, according to the Start website. So um, I think all's well for you know to set Iron Man free as a as a Chinese American co co-production. All right. I look forward to that. Uh, I had a former boss's boss who's also named Dr. Wu, but uh, ah. he's not from the Marvel Universe. <laughs> All right. Uh, last bit of news. Trailer Talk. Oh, no. Grandmasters. Sorry. Before we get on to Trailer Talk, Grandmasters is going to be opening in Berlin Film Festival. Now, if you don't know what Grandmaster is, um, that's probably because most people haven't heard of it because it's been coming and going for, what, a, over a decade now? No, not that long. Uh, yeah, actually, it has. <laughs> the film was announced a decade ago, yes. So, yeah, this is Wong Kar Wai's film about uh, Ip Man, right? And uh, it says, you know, basically what, 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 with this announcement that uh, we're thinking that he's going to finally be forced to finish the movie. Um, wasn't wasn't the movie originally scheduled for release this year and then it got pushed back again? I think it was supposed to come out last summer yeah. or two years ago because... Wong Kar Wai was it has been in pre-production for the longest time. I mean, um, his all his lead actors had to go go and uh, according to the documentary that just came out um, last month, um, all his actors have been in long extended martial arts training for like a year. Um, it was it was so serious that Chang Chang became an expert at his own the martial art that he was trained in and won a prize last month <laughs> for a competition. Wow, that's how good he's gotten. Um, That's so yes, truly it was, it was method acting. Pre-production for a while, and the shoot was um, on and off for three, four years. I think my friend, a, a cla- old classmate of mine, works for the um, the uh, publicity mater- uh, department of the production company. So he was actually on set for two of those years uh, out there in Guangzhou, uh, up, up there in, in Guangdong Province. So yes, it, it's been around for a while, and. It was meant to come out last summer. Then it got pushed again. Uh, people were talking about Cannes this year. That didn't happen. Then in uh, the summer, it was um, they finally uh, set. They finally set. Um, they finally set a release date for December eighteenth. Uh, and then last month, that got pushed back for another two weeks before because because apparently there were reshoots again. So uh, 
Yeah, so now apparently um, it will finally uh, premiere in China uh, on January 8th, come out here in Hong Kong on January 10th, and uh, open the Berlin Film Festival um, in February, which has to happen because Wong Kar Wai is serving as the president of a jury. Mm. So it would be pretty embarrassing if he's going there and a jury, and then he's got this opening film slot, and then he's like, oh, I haven't finished. Yeah. And I think and I think they're the his his his, uh, his um China financier are 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 breathing down his neck pretty pretty bad closely because they started releasing a trailer, they released a documentary, they threw out um postcards to publicists since the summer. Um and uh even though Wong Kar apparently paid for all the reshoots and all the all the delays himself, um I'm pretty sure the financier are pretty uh, are pretty anxious about about uh, making back their money. So yeah, finally we're hoping that the film will finally come out in uh three weeks. Yeah, three when weeks. when when oh, they God. talk about long term investing, yeah, the, the the definition is gonna be a one car wide movie. <laughs> yes. And I already know I'm gonna see it twice. I mean have you actually have you seen the trailer yet, Paul? They've been sh- uh, showing it pretty often at the uh UA cinemas here. No, I haven't seen it. Um I, I don't get up to a UA that much, that's probably why. Ah, uh, okay. Usually I'm every a time every AMC time uh, I see Every time I see a trailer, it gets me, gets my blood pumping. So, yes, the final product can suck, but I'm, I'm ready. Just, mm. just bring it. I'm ready for this movie. Yeah. All right. Well, we uh, wish uh, Mr. Wong all, all the best in trying to finally get his movie out and then start uh, another decade-long production on the next thing. Uh, final bit of news, we're going to do a little bit of trailer talk. Uh, quite a few trailers released in the last uh, couple weeks since we've been away. Uh, a couple trailers of note, geek, geek-related trailers for sure. Uh, Pacific Rim, have you seen it, Kev? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I've seen a trailer. Um, I, I think most of these trailers that we're about to talk about used that um, that in Hans Zimmer uh, Inception D. Yeah. And I'm really getting annoyed by that trend. That's just a little side note. Well, but yeah. Um, the Pacific Rim, if you go on YouTube... Uh, you look up Pacific Rim Power Rangers. Yes, I tried that. That's uh, that's actually that actually works quite well. It was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. Like, okay, this is this is my this is the kaiju monster movie that yes. I know. Yes, yes, with Power Rangers and Japanese people talking or something. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. Otherwise, you know, it, it looks okay. Looks fine. Guillermo del Toro is is knows he, he's a geek and he knows what he's doing. Yeah, I'm um, I'm, I'm excited for it. Uh, the thing that got me more excited than anything though was the the little Easter egg in the trailer that if you've played the game Portal, uh, they used the same voice actress who um, does the voice for the Glados uh, artificial intelligence in that game is doing the uh, the I, I guess she's the systems AI for the machines the robots. And uh, so I, I, I'm not sure how prominent she's going to be in the film, but that that little bit got me kind of super excited. The rest looked, <laughs> looked good. And uh, I don't know, I'm still a little bit disappointed that it's not really a Godzilla movie. Um, if if they really had Godzilla in there, I'd be so much more hyped and excited for this. But I, I'm definitely yeah, going to see it. because they couldn't buy the rights to the yeah. character. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, and he, and he, and he want, doesn't want to work within the limitations of, you know, fans' expectations. He's creating a new property, so he doesn't have to worry about anything like that. We, but we, which and, but maybe maybe because I'm used to seeing, you know, crappy studio shot um, 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 superhero, super-sized robot stuff from Japan. Yeah. But would it kill to make things a little brighter? Yeah, the trailer is a bit dark. And... I couldn't see half the 
special effects. Hopefully it won't be in 3D because then it'll be even darker. Um, yeah, it's, not, it's like some of the monsters and things. And that might be intentional too. I mean, they might be darkening up because they don't want to give away too many details. Um, so hopefully we'll, you know, it, it'll be a bit brighter and, and it won't all be done like it, you know, it won't all be fighting at night. Um, for Honestly, I'm, I'm enjoying the, um, actually I enjoy, I still enjoy the uh, short film, Fresh Rave short film from last year, uh, the Guang Gong versus Alien um, short better. That that is that was a great yeah. little monster versus uh, human uh, giant robot. You know, I have that short movie. Film. I got that movie. Guang Gong versus Alien. Yeah, the original movie. Yeah. No, no, not the original. The twenty minute short that was made last year that had a lot of um, political political yeah. uh, uh, satire. That was that the, was really the original super little fun too. Movie. I wish they make a movie version of that. Yeah. Um, let's see, we also had the Star Trek trailer, uh, that came out, which a lot of people are kind of still up in arms about because they don't know who, uh, Benedict Cumberbun, I mean, Cumberbach is, uh, actually playing, right? Yeah, uh, didn't people, some people say Khan? Some, well, no, they, they don't know. Some people think it's Khan, some people think it's another, um, uh, I can't remember his name, another villain who was quite well known in the original series. And then apparently he, on some interview, there was a name that came up that's like totally unrelated to anybody. It's like this, this weird name. And uh, so people are kind of annoyed that they still don't really know who he's playing. And they think that J.J. Abrams is kind of leading them by the nose, which which he probably is. Which um, he's done and will do. And You know, it, it, it doesn't bother me all that much, you know, uh, I'm interested to see the movie. I'm gonna see it no matter what. So, did you watch the? Did you watch the trailer in 3D? Um, before the Hobbit? No, I. It wasn't. They did not have the trailer on my version of the Hobbit. Oh, um, my version. My version had the 3D trailer. Did it? But did it have the whole nine minute thing? No, 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 not the nine minute thing. Just the just the teaser yeah. that we've we've seen since last week. Yeah. No, I've just um, seen them seen them online. Hmm? I've just seen the trailer online. So. Yeah. Right. Right. And the, yeah, but um. It looks fine. I mean, I, it looks really serious right now, but I'm sure that it will have a good balance of, you know, it's, it's entertainment. And J.J. Abrams is good at this kind of um, comedy mixed with sci-fi adventure stuff. And like he did the first Star Trek movie, and I'm hoping you'll be more of that more of that formula. Uh, of course, plus a little more seriousness, yeah. of course, because it's a sequel. Um, yeah, I, I look forward to it anyway. So I guess the, the other big point to talk about is the... the uh, what was it like the last five seconds of the Japanese trailer, which uh, was a throwback to Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan, and but a lot of people are reading into it in different ways. They're saying that maybe that's just a a misdirection thing. They're not sure that 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 little it's a, it's a little hand exchange between two characters, which are you only see the hand, so you think it's it's Kirk and Spock, but there's no guarantee that that's who it is. And there's no guarantee that what it's alluding to is what's really happening. So there's been a lot of discussion. The one thing that I found intriguing, and some people talked about this, was why did they put that on the Japanese trailer and not the American trailer with the understanding that, of course, that's not going to stay within the boundaries of Japan. It's on the Internet. So the minute somebody says, hey, you know, look at what's going on here in these extra three or four seconds on the... Japanese trailer, um, every you know it's going to go viral and everybody's going to be looking at it. Yeah, the thing is, if if anyone's going to get that little little reference, it would be the American fans. Japanese, I'm not sure how big Star Trek was in Japan. I don't think it was very big. 
Um, Star Wars is much more. Star Wars is much bigger, more popular. Uh, yeah, I think. In I Japan mean, than Star Trek. Star Trek has fans all over the world, but certainly in Asia, it's not that. It's not like it is in Europe and in Australia and in the West for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but why do you think? I mean, why? Why do that? Why you? You know, you're 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 making a film. You've made films. Why? Why take that route? Why release two different trailers when you know one is gonna immediately gonna generate buzz because it's got that extra thing on it? Is is that you an never... intentional thing? Is it is it just you know to get people talking still longer? You never know. I mean, sometimes maybe they had maybe the Japanese one is the original one and they had to cut it for the American market, or you know there could be some running time issues when you show in the cinema because Japan is huge on showing trailers for films. Blah, blah. It, there's all kinds of maybe there's all kinds of you know little behind the scene reasons that we'll never know. Yeah. Um, but I'm surprised that I'm not sure why if 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 uh, Paramount or J. Abrams were intentionally hiding things from fans in america uh and not expecting that this that you know the japanese side will upload their own version of the trailer on youtube and on websites and things like that and that americans won't be able to see it. i don't know why they were thinking yeah, that. i i think that jj abrams is much too smart and media savvy to know that that wouldn't happen that's why it makes me wonder if there's a bit of strategy of some sort involved but uh, i don't know i mean by what is it by this time uh Next year, we'll know all the answers. No, it opens in May. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So by this time next year, we'll we won't even be talking about any of this anymore. Oh, it, yeah, won't, right, right, it, right, it won't right. be. You know, it'll be nobody's news by then. Um, and the last, but the last trailer we'll probably mention is uh, Man of Steel, the new Superman film. Um, I saw this and I was about as excited as the earlier trailer, which just kind of showed Clark Kent walking through what looked like the uh the sets of uh, the deadliest catch <laughs> i mean <laughs> you know he's just walking around fishing boats and stuff and it's all grayed out uh, i thought it was in the, in the perfect storm maybe that yeah it could be that either uh, a sequel uh i i'm just having the hardest time getting excited about this it the, just the doesn't look like a, the super dark knight is a great superhero film yeah but it doesn't mean every other damn superhero movie has to follow follow that formula yeah, it just I, it doesn't seem like Superman to me for some reason. Um, yeah, it's, it's like I know that Brand, Brandon uh, Brian Singer's uh, was trying to do the classic uh, Superman, the older seventies take on Superman, and that didn't work out. So I guess I know they have to try other things. But I mean, really, two and a half minutes, and they spend a minute forty five minutes or a minute forty five seconds. Not yeah, keep teasing people for it for an extra minute forty five seconds. Only spend forty five seconds of showing. Uh, kind of Superman stuff. It, it's yeah, I don't know what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, there there's some things that I'm intrigued by. I'm I'm happy to see uh, you know Kevin Costner as you know Pa Kent, and uh, I'll I'd be I'll be I'll, I'll be interested to see what he brings to it. But I, I just the rest of the stuff that I've seen so far. Um, I I went to I think it was Io Nine, and they sort of did a shot by shot breakdown. Um. You know, it it just looks like origin story again, and I don't know. It's, it the suit. You know, there there's some criticism as to the suit why there's no uh, red underwear, basically. And it, it I I don't know. It's just I'm not as excited about this film. There's even been some discussion, a lot of speculation about like is Joseph Gordon-Levitt gonna make a cameo, and 
Um, there's there's further talk that now they're saying that yes, Joseph Gordon-Levitt perhaps will be Batman in the Justice League movie that this is supposed to tie into, and um, I don't know. It it seems like there's uh, there's not a whole lot of direction. It 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 doesn't seem like they've got the same kind of vision that that they started having with the Marvel films. You know, I don't I don't see that same kind of feeling here for some reason. The, the Marvel films embrace embrace the 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 comic tone of of you know it's very much comic book movies. Yeah. You know, and but but I think Christopher Nolan and Zack Snyder what they don't like is that tone for some reason. They have something against that tone. They want to bring things you know to reality. And I haven't seen, of course none of us seen the film yet. The film's not even done yet, so none of us really know what the final product is going to be like. All I can hope is that a minute and 45 seconds of that trailer is, is from the first act of the film and that the other two act will be awesome and uh, eye-gasm for nerds and, and <laughs> ton of explosions and things like that. I know it sounds really shallow, but I really hope it's not an hour and a half of, of brooding and, and shaky, hand, shaky cam and deadliest catch until like half an hour of like Superman. Yeah. I think the other thing too is, is I, I'm, I'm guessing that... Um... I from from some of the footage I saw, and and I apologize if this spoils things for anybody listening. Um, it it appears that Zod, General Zod, is uh, in the film now. Whether he's going to be the main villain of the film, I don't know for sure, but uh, he is in the film just as in Superman One uh, with Christopher Reeve. You know, he was in the film, but he wasn't the villain of Superman One. Uh, maybe that's the case here, or maybe he is the actual villain. I don't know. But, again, the whole origin story, the whole reboot, and going back to that very familiar ground that we've already kind of been over makes it a little bit, I don't know, boring for me. I mean, at least with Spider-Man, you know, they didn't go back to the Green Goblin as the villain villain for the reboot. You know, they, they came up with a villain who hadn't been done in the Tobey Maguire films. And so even though it was a reboot and retelling the origin story, there was... A lot of freshness to it because of that so uh, maybe that's one of the reasons i'm not as excited here i don't know we'll see all right i think that's enough trailer talk and let's get on to talk about some actual films Great. we've got two east screen films for this week uh one film actually dating back to november because uh, we didn't have a chance to uh, talk about it in the past couple weeks, and that is Love in Time. Uh, this is coming from director Lee Fire, starring Bosco Wong and the likable and very cute Steffi Tang. Uh, <laughs> Kevin, can you tell us a little bit about Love in Time? Yeah, sure. Um, Love in Time is the second film from, oh, I guess the first solo film from uh, Lee Fire. He's, um, his directorial debut was uh, a co-director of Give Love, which is a terrible memory I would like to forget, but that movie was directed, <laughs> co-directed by Joe Ma and starred um, Gigi Lern and uh, Chen Bolin, or Wilson Chen, depending on which name you like. Uh, that was a terrible film. That was an that was what I call an F film, you know. <laughs> yes. F grade, not the other F word. But yes, that was a terrible film. Um, and I am happy to report that Lee Fire has redeemed himself with his first solo effort. Um, Loving Time stars Bosco Wallace Cho, kind of a slacker character who um makes his living from a failing ice cream truck business 
Uh, he lives with uh, a roommate named Beard. Beer, as in, you know, the one you drink. Played by Sammy, DJ Sammy. Um, and DJ Sammy's a bit of uh, Lothario. Uh, but, of course, I guess the joke is that he tends to bet really ugly girls. But anyway, they, they live in this flat. Um, and they live their really lazy and low-income life. Um, and Boss but Cho, um, he he's actually has a, an admirer downstairs. Uh, uh, a, a neighbor girl who runs a local store played by Zhao Ke. But of course, he's so he's so concentrated on his internet girlfriend that he doesn't really he kind of treats everyone else like uh, like, like a, he's like a douchebag. Uh, one day, uh, his cousin, uh, Tina, played by Steffi Tang, uh, returns to Hong Kong from Taiwan and um, immediately moves into the apartment because uh, we find out that Cho's apartment is actually owned by Tina's father, who is his uncle. So uh, she has to stay there. Uh, he doesn't really want that to happen, but he wants to keep his um, his home. So so he has to uh, essentially take her in and uh, become. Uh, and of course, this odd couple thing kind of becomes a romance. Um, yes, I know we're their cousins. Okay, we'll talk about this in a little bit. But yes, they're cousins. But they, there's kind of a bond that that connects uh, between them, and um, there might be a romance happening. But uh, of course, there's a romantic rival, and there is a uh, a secret that will be revealed um, actually about 15 minutes into the film. So not much of a spoiler, but I won't review it here. Um, but was it really a secret? Really? Was it really a secret? No, not really. <laughs> but let's not go to... Like, we're not going to talk about much about the, 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 the most controversial part of the film, that we're not going to talk about that one much yeah. either. Mm. Uh, but we'll mention it. But anyway, uh, yeah... Uh, I am writing the review for this, so I'm trying not to repeat too much from from what I'm writing already. But yes, I would say that Lee Fire redeems uh, himself for Gift Love. He's he spent these couple years doing a few really uh, successful uh, stage plays uh, featuring young younger stars, and they've been quite popular. Um, and he's sort of built up a reputation here as a stage director, but not really as a film director. Um, but thankfully, he, he does redeem himself here. Uh, he repeats several elements from Give Love, actually, uh, mainly the concept of a, a romance that strikes up from a, uh, a forced co- co-inhabitant or cohabitant co- um, yeah. uh, situation, uh, kind of a taboo love story. Uh, in Give Love, it was, a, it was Gigi Lun um, and her fiancé's brother, you know, and of course, there's that whole like older woman, younger guy thing. Uh, and here is, again, cousins. Uh, but otherwise, it's actually a very typical odd couple falling in love story. Um, yes, they, the, the cousins angle that I know, Paul, you're going to talk about a little bit. Uh, yes, it, it, they mention it as like one of those weird things. But I think the film, I think the film sets them as maternal cousins anyway. And they're not blood related. So, so it's not like a big incest thing. It is, um, they're just cousins by name. But we and don't know that for sure. <laughs> I, I think I forgot what they what was she what Bosco called uncle. If Bosco called, because you know we have different names for uncles of different yeah. from different relatives. You know, we have one one name for uncle who are from dad's side, and we have another name for uncles who are from mom's side. Yeah. And I and my fault for not hearing clearly. Uh, if I know what 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 he called, but the they uncle, did, then they I would know did she's make a maternal a, side or paternal yeah, side. They did make a point to joke about it in the film too. Sammy had yes. a line where he said, "But you guys are cousins." But actually, the 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 word he used, "biumui," uh, instead of "tomui," "tomui" means it's a cousin from your father's side, mm-hmm. and "biumui" means it's a cousin from your mother's side. 
So it is very likely that they're just maternal cousins and therefore not blood related. And therefore, it's not really incest. Um, and besides, other Hong Kong films have actually used this um, as tears go by. Uh, Maggie Chan and Andy Lau were cousins. Um, uh, Autumn's Tale, uh, Cherry Chung and, and, and Charon Fat were really far distant removed cousins. Distant cousins. So it was also okay. So um, I guess it's not really that big of a deal. It's not like Love Actually Sucks here. You know, not, like, not like a scud situation. So it's not that bad. But anyway... Um, it is remarkably well shot. Uh, it was clear that I think Lee Fire watched a lot of Wong Kar Wai movies, or or his cinematographer did, because uh, the the mood is is uh, kind of like a Wong Kar Wai film. The lighting, uh, some shots, and you know the music and some of the montages, um, and it, it it looks like it, it looks like it's aping Wong Kar Wai in a good way, in a way that it's not really stealing, but in a way it's more like it's emulating um, and trying to get that vibe. But of course, Bosco and Steffi are not are not Tony Leung and Maggie Chan, so yeah, it just doesn't quite look the same. Um, but it is very well shot. It's very pretty, um, and I like Bosco and Steffi together. Uh, I think they have good chemistry, and um, there are a couple of Steffi fanboy service uh, fan service moments, which I'm sure Paul loved. Uh, Paul, you can bring that up uh, in a little bit. Um, Bosco's character uh, is a very typical rom-com kind of male character. He's a he's actually a caring douchebag, a, a nice douchebag who, who who means well but acts like a douche. Um, it's nothing new for the genre. He's unlikable in the beginning, and then he finds a conscience, and it becomes better uh, for her sake or for the sake of the, of the plot. Um, and you know, I, I actually it, it proved again after uh, Charmaine Charmaine Cher last year in uh, Love Is the Only Answer. This Bosco here once again proved that TVB actors actually can act, and they do bring their experience with shooting lots of dramas uh, in a very short time and very professional acting skills. Um, they bring that to the films, but um, it's clear that TVB didn't give them any m- good material to work with. So here, actually, I think I like Bosco here uh, more than any of the TV stuff that he's done before. So I think it's quite good here. Uh, for for a lead role, for romantic lead, even uh, almost channeling uh, like a younger Andy Lau, uh, even Chow and Fat rom com role. I mean, not totally successful, but I think he was very much in that vein in a good way. Um, the film is not terribly new or original, um, but it was to me it was enjoyable. I I it has slow spots and it uh, and and it has its flaws, um, particularly with the with the portrayal of the neighbor girl. She just kind of comes here and then leaves and then comes back is a very spotty portrayal of a character but uh it, it was enjoyable while it lasted uh but of course there is a, a controversial ending uh we wouldn't talk about it much but i guess i will wait till paul gets there before we, we discuss it so uh so we can talk about it a little bit but personally yes that that is the moment that i think the movie goes off the rails um which bumps it from a see it to a very solid tv it actually i like I liked it more than I expected I would. Um, and I think that, that the comments being echoed uh, in a lot of places. Uh, so, yeah, I surprisingly liked, liked uh, a Love in Time. Paul, uh, your turn. Okay. I have a feeling well, you didn't like it as, as much as I did. Um, <clears throat> okay, first, Bosco. Not a fan. Um, I, 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 you know, if I had to choose Lem Fong or Bosco in a film, I'd prefer Lam Fong. If I had to choose Wong Cho Lam 
Bosco or Lamfeng, I choose Wang Cholam. I mean, that's I, the, the range Wang of how Cholam, my tests Neither Wang Cholam nor neither Wang Cholam nor nor uh, Raymond Lamb could pull off this role. I don't know. I mean, uh, Raymond Lamb. Raymond Lamb doesn't have the comedic skills, and Wang Cholam is too funny. He doesn't have the look, looks for it. I think Bosco strikes just the right I, balance. I don't know. I would have preferred for the character to be more funny because part of my problem, and and you you brought this up, was that he was a douche. Okay. And he was such a douche that I didn't care about this character. In fact, I wanted him to to keep being a failure. He did not deserve to have success, and I didn't feel he deserved to 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 win anything throughout the film. Uh, there, he he never really redeemed himself in my eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, it, it's not that I have a thing against Bosco. I've seen him in some TVB stuff that I thought he was okay in. It's just the role he had here. I didn't necessarily think that he was good for that character. I think that. Wong Cho Lam might have brought some humor to being a douche and made that somewhat redeeming. And Raymond Lamb, perhaps being a bit more attractive than Bosco, at least in my taste, uh, I don't know, could have redeemed the role a little bit better as well. Um, so I wasn't really a fan of, of his character, and, and that's 50% of the film because it's a relationship film. Um, and yeah, he goes around selling ice cream, but he's really just a lazy goof. Um, Sammy, I like Sammy. I know a lot of people don't like Sammy. Um, as I've said before, one of my, I have a soft spot for the, the, the Sammy Steffi movie called, um, My Sweetie. And I watched that on occasion. It's a mid-autumn festival film. Um, excuse me. Uh, Steffi, uh, what, what can you say? She's cute and she does cosplay. Not nearly enough for my taste. Uh, they need to do a full-on, you know, movie about a character, that Steffi plays where she does is all totally into cosplay. Uh, <laughs> that, that will make me very happy. Um, and yes, they're cousins. Okay. I know that there's rules and, and things, but you know, even, even the maternal thing, if, if it's their, if they're maternal cousins, that just means that Steffi's or, or Bosco's mom is, has a sister or a brother. That's Steffi's dad. Right sister no no uh brother then steffi's dad might be his uh bosco's mother's uh brother-in-law right but that means that the that that steffi's mom is still her sister so they're still blood related they're cousins okay and it's incest and that's just ew um i don't see any way around (laughs) i mean there there was some discussion where you know sometimes no no you know what it could be uh, Bosco's uh, mother's cousins. Yeah. Uh, okay, I don't and know. Actually, that makes them cousins. So they're yeah. second cousins. So it's like Somehow. distant cousins. Yeah, I I don't know. They, they it, it was hard to kind of see where it is, and I know that sometimes in Chinese films, they'll people will call each other cousins, and they don't have a real direct blood relationship. So it's not as clear cut as in in you know in the west because of all these different names they have things but when they joked about it when sammy made the joke about it saying your cousins that kind of solidified in my mind that yes they were indeed blood related actually um, when we were watching it when we were watching it it was me and tim and shelly and also valerie a uh, friend of the show um yeah we were just going when they when they looked at each other wistfully we were like cousins <laughs> cousins <laughs> You know, it's like it's like you know some some old French film or something trying to be experimental suddenly. Um, <laughs> Kissing cousins. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
But yeah, okay, so there's that part. Um, yeah, the, you know, the whole notion that Bosco's flat belongs to his uncle, who turns out to be Steffi's dad somehow, um, that kind of sets up, you know, an interesting, you know, bit of togetherness, sort of this odd coupleness, and Steffi's really good at organizing and, and, and coming up with ideas to help his business. And I, I, I was okay with that part. Then there's this whole thing where he's got this dream girl on Windows Live Messenger, really? Yeah, Do yeah, people Humble people use it a lot. Still use Windows yeah, Live I Messenger? I thought that that was like going the way of ICQ. Um, no, but I still use it. Yeah. Okay. Um, maybe I'm just uh, not up because I'm a Mac person. <laughs> yeah, Hong Kong people, a lot of Hong Kongers still use <laughs> um, But it does, it, because what happens later is she ends up getting a job at this really big company, this design firm with this very famous designer who also has an eye for her. And so much of the movie is Bosco like in some ways, kind of grooming her, right, to, you know, be a good match for this guy, kind of, you know, moving moving himself out of the relationship. So it's got a little bit of a sort of a Cyrano-esque style feel for a little bit, but you know it's going to come back. There are some few, there are a few good cameos. Harriet Young uh, shows up for a little bit, and I really like her and a lot of stuff. Um, and But there's this whole plot with this uh, girl downstairs who you mentioned, and that's uh, Zhao Ke, is that right? Yes. Yeah. Um, and she's got a huge crush on Bosco that's established long before Steffi really even comes into the picture. And they they get some comedy mileage out of it. But then by the end, she just kind of disappears. They don't even wrap up her storyline. I thought for a while they were going to try and push her towards Sammy, but that never happened. Sammy's just bringing all these different girls, um, you know, just that's sort of like the running gag. And it just made me wonder why is she even in the film? Because she, no, but the, I think I think the the conclusion of her character, yeah, she's missing for a major part of the middle. But I think her conclusion was fairly clear that why she went away towards the end because she had that whole little section um, in the third act. And I think I thought that that pretty much answered the the question. Did it? I, I don't know. It, it wasn't that clear to me, and I was expecting right. a little bit more of a resolution, you know, with her with her character. Okay, we can um, talk about this after the recording. Yes, sure, sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, so for me, that that plot kind of went nowhere. And it kind of made me wonder: are they, are they just using this as a vehicle to? Because she's a, a mainland actress, and am I correct in that she's not from Taiwan, right? She's from mainland. It sounded like she was in mainland. Yeah, yeah. mainland. Yeah. So my 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 thought is that they just pulled her on board as you know, sort of ticket to the north. Um. I could be wrong with that, but that's the feeling Hardly, that, yes. that I got, and that her character could have been better developed, uh, or they could have somehow concluded things a little bit better. Um, and then there's this, there's the thing with um, with Sammy's character. He ends up, you know, he because he he brings all these all these girls home, um, and a lot of them are are different ethnicities, right? But at the same time, he's got this big crush on a girl who works in a currency exchange uh, little cubicle. And he actually goes and he helps her out. They didn't really resolve that either, did they? I mean, she just kind of like... Uh... Oh, that that took me a while to realize what it means. But yeah, that one actually also got wrapped up. But again, in, in sort of this like, oh, okay, kind of way. But it, yeah, it was also wrapped it, up. Yeah, it just seemed like it... I don't know, it just... I, I, but I, I must like have missed nothing. Maybe I, I fell like asleep and I didn't know it. About <laughs> why things kind of wrapped up. It, it, they, they do... They do wrap up but in a way that they don't tell you explicitly how but you can kind of read 
that yeah okay so right. you can kind of I, I kind of appreciated that well because I, um, I, I don't want to spoil what what actually happens in the relationship so i will ask you uh, off the air or at the end or throw in a spoiler thing at the end um so then yeah uh so a couple of the storylines don't really they're they're not very obvious in the way they wrap up at least from my perspective and then the ending what the frack just you know, uh, but, uh, be careful, Paul. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. because, because it, 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 I, I, I'm kind of conflicted about telling people about this. Um, well, I don't want to. I'm because, not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna spoil anything. It's well, of just not. But, but the idea of telling people that there is something coming up. Um, well, there's an ending. Of, we, there's an ending, and it's it's an it's an ending that just makes you say that. What the frack? Um, it's tr- it. It's just trying to be shocking, and it totally fails. And it made me lose complete respect for the 99.9% of the rest of the film that they even tried to get away with, exec- with, with, with executing what they did. And they didn't even do it properly. You know, it's like it was, it was an intentional point of contention that just you you know yeah. they're doing it for the shock value alone and i hate when people when when, when stuff is done like that um it, it served no purpose in the other 99.9 percent of the film for me and it was just lame that's that's how I'll end part, it. part of the part of the, the theme of the one of the themes of the film which isn't yes which isn't um spelled out clearly again that yes um bosco uh, or any of the character, they they always hesitate or they wait for love and they shouldn't. Uh, and I know it's not a clear theme, but I think it's something that kind of suggested throughout that these people always wait and they always wait for the quote unquote right moment and they always miss the moment. And I think thematically, the ending makes sense, but it is really badly executed. Um, although I have uh, sort of a uh, a mild appreciation for not milking the moment like a Patrick Carr movie would or something. Uh, it's not a cynical moment, but it is very badly executed. It's an idea that makes sense on paper, but really badly executed. I, w- I would say that. Yeah. And that I believe that uh, from, the, from the show Tim Young's, um, he put it this way. It's like, it's like Lee Fire spent 90, 99 minutes pleasing his audiences. And then finally, he just spit in their face and say, "F you all, F, F you all." Yeah, exactly. It's exactly that. I could. That, that's agree what more. it's like. I but to agree me, more. it's almost like he's too deep into his own themes. Lee Fire was too deep into his own themes, and he doesn't care about the audience feelings. He just all he cares about is getting his themes out, and he doesn't but, care about. But the just from the feelings. Te- from and the- I think it's emotionally manipulative, um, and it is very self self how do i say it's very narcissistic in a way yeah uh, it's very, very arrogant um and i really don't like that final shot but i can't understand why it's there but i don't i don't like it either it's true mm. yeah um so yeah i i i'd say if you like steffi or you like boss go tv it otherwise pass um because there's not enough of the stuff on the side outside of their storyline to to, to to keep people intrigued. I mean, like I said, I like Sammy, I but I just felt they didn't go anywhere with her. The, the, the new girl, she's, she was an okay actress, but they didn't seem to give her any resolution either. You know, sometimes in a film, 
I can be interested, in, not like the main characters, but in, be interested enough in the supporting characters that if their subplots are decent enough, you know, it'll make me happy. I didn't really get that here. But I like Steffi. And yeah, there's a little bit of cosplay. So <laughs> <laughs> worth the price of a ticket. I'll say that. Uh, but I'd be happy with a lot more. All right. I think we spent enough time on Love in Time. So let's move on to a film that's come at a different time, 10 years later, and that is the sequel uh, to My Wife is 18, called My Sassy Hubby. So this film uh, basically follows the continuing lives of the two main characters, uh, Sapsam Chung, or 13 Chung, as they translate, and um, uh, Yo-Yo Ma. Now, uh, the, the main male character is played by Ikin Cheng, and Yo-Yo Ma is played by Charlene Choi. Uh, in the original film, she was 18, and she met Eakin in London, and they were supposed to be kind of paired off together as a matchmaking session, but uh, Eakin, being 10 years older, uh, decided that, you know, she's not the girl for him, there's too much of an age gap, but uh, at the insistence of his, uh, I guess it was his uh, grandmother, uh, at the time, who wanted to see him get married, they decided they'd get married and just kind of have a paper marriage to make her happy. Um, and so in the old film, of course, they go through with this and then and hijinks ensue. And over the course of that film, they find that they actually have feelings for each other that develop and they end up uh, remaining married by the end of the film. So I just spoiled My Wife is 18 for everybody if you haven't seen it. <laughs> um, so this film picks up where that film... Uh, kind of leaves off, but it's now 10 years later. Um, so Yo-Yo Ma is now 28, and she's been with uh, Sapsam for, uh, you know, a decade. And uh, they've, you know, had married life, and they've got, they have their ups and downs. And because of the age gap, uh, things are not always smooth between them, you know. Uh, uh, but uh, Ikin Cheng's character, because in the first film, he was trying to get his master's degree, and he spent seven years doing so. Uh, not a very good student. Um, but he finally got it, and so now he's teaching uh, courses on love and relationships in, in, as a uh, teacher in college. And Charlene is a, uh, you know, she has a little shop of her own that she tries to sh sell fashion and clothes, but uh, a lot of times those kind of industries can be, you know, difficult to make a profit, and she has to rely quite often on her husband. So, because of some of the tensions, problems start to emerge, and then we later find that uh, there's a, a a problem with their, their marriage. There was a problem with the priest who originally married them, and so it turns out that, um, that they, in fact, are not legally married and have not been legally married. And so this sets up sort of the second and third act, really, uh, which brings in uh, two new characters into the picture, um, one for, uh, Egan Chang, a new actress. What was her name, Kevin? Do you remember? Uh, the mainland one? Yeah. Oh, no idea. Yeah. No idea. She's a new actress. She did a, a really, actress. really good job. Um, but she comes in as one of, uh, Egan's students, but she's also like a supermodel and she's very worldly and well-traveled and, yeah, uh, right. I mean, yeah, sure. Yeah. And so Egan is, you know, half of my students are like this, right? Um, she, uh, she ends up, um, you know, kind of admiring Eakin, and he kind of, you know, starts to have a thing for her, and they start going off and, you know, palling around together. 
And uh, this makes Charlene very jealous. And in the meantime, she has an old boyfriend uh, from when she was very young sort of come back into the picture who starts pursuing her again. And he's the son of a very wealthy person. And, you know, so, of, of course, it's the uh, upper class, you know, fantasy that we often see in these films where people don't actually have to work all that much. <laughs> um, and so what really ends up happening in the second and third act, at least from my perspective is that it really starts to mimic uh, a film we saw earlier this year, and that is the plot of Love and a Buff, where the two main characters who start off in love end up in relationships with other people only to come back to realize that they should still be with uh, the original person. Now, that being said, um, despite that, I felt it was a really solid sequel to the, to the original film. I like the original film. I watched it again before going and, and seeing this to refresh my memory. And uh, I still like it. Um, I liked Charlene in the original film, and I liked Eakin in the original film. Here, um, you know, they've, they've gotten older. Eakin's gotten a little bit fatter. Uh, Charlene looks more mature. But they still manage to find their characters, I think, uh, as they were in, in the original films. And I think that uh, despite the fact that it does get a very similar plot to Love and the Buff, I still enjoyed it. There are plenty of celebrities... Um, that pop up. Uh, the best, I think, is probably the neighbors, uh, their neighbors, who are played by uh, JJ and Wong Cholam. And Wong Cholam and, and JJ were really quite good together. I, I thought they'd be annoying, but uh, they did, I, I don't know, I guess they did push the joke a little bit too far in some cases, but I, I still found it funny. Um, there is some reference back to one, I, I think a couple of the old characters from the first film, and I really wanted more of that. I wanted to see what had happened to some of the other characters uh, from the original film. I don't know if it was a case that uh, the director or the writer didn't want to, you know, bring those people back or they weren't available. Um, but I really wanted to see more of um, some of those people who were focused on in the first film instead of seeing a lot of the new people that we have um, in the second film. Um, by the end, in the end credits, though, they do kind of jump back and show some some cuts of some of the in-between years, uh, that uh, some things that happened in the decades in between the first film and the second film. I would have liked to see a lot more of that, too, and not just as sort of like these outtakes or these uh, post-credit moments. But um, despite these flaws, I still felt that it was a really solid Hong Kong film. And if you're watching it for the leads, if you liked the first film, if you liked, if you like Eakin, you like Charlene, um, I think you'll still like this film. Uh, and I'm hoping it does well enough that at, perhaps we'll see a third film in uh, 10 years. So, Kevin. Mm, okay. Um, I, I don't remember much about the original. Uh, I, I know Kozo... I, did, you, did you watch the original? Have you seen the original recently? Yeah, I watched it watched a couple days before I watched the, uh, the, the, the sequel. So you did? Yep. Okay, so I, I, haven't, I, don't, remember, I don't have much memories of the original. Um, and I don't remember liking the original um, a lot anyway. So, so I wasn't really expecting much. Um, and what I personally... Okay, what I personally was looking for was... Uh, and and maybe that's not the the, the creator's uh, intention, and that's fine. What I was hoping to see was because I think my wife is eighteen. The first film, it was focused on Charlene being too young, right? Yeah, to some extent. To some extent. So I was hoping that the the second film here will 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 try and 
look into a uh, husband being too old, you know, because Ikin is not getting any younger. He's getting 40. He's, being, he's getting well, that in, age. in in some uh, ways it did. In some ways it, it is kind of him getting a little bit of a midlife crisis. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't that open and and, you know, it wasn't simply him having sort of a seven or a 10 year itch in this case. But in many ways it was. Uh, yeah, I mean, she still is the immature character of the group, but it it kind of, I guess, highlighted their differences. But then it, at the same time, he's supposed to be very knowledgeable about relationships and love, and he's teaching these in his classes, and yet his own is kind of failing. And so for me, it kind of, you know, that fact that he's hitting midlife and he's not really all that successful in what he's doing kind of stuck out a little bit to me. Um, okay. But yeah, then maybe I, I it's because it's I'm closer in, way, in age yeah. than you are. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. But uh, but yes, uh, I don't remember much about the original, but I did now, uh, watching the film, the sequel now, I do remember that Charlene was quite annoying in the original film, and she is even more so here, um, because it was in Dolby, and uh, you know, the, the, the advancement of surround sound has made her voice even more annoying, I guess. Um, Ikin's okay, I think he has some good comedic moments, he's very solid, uh, but I think he was much more likable than Charlene here, even though yes, Ikin is the one that kind of messes up um the relationship um uh actually Ikin was the more likable one here um but still i think the film was was funny i laughed at multiple places um and, but it's really poorly directed it's so poorly directed that it feels like a writer's movie which it is james Rand is a writer and he's directed a few films including the original film um but he's still the, the directing feels very sloppy here in a way that oh it's all about the, the actor it's all about the the writing anyway but it, it was a little distracting for me, personally. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, like you said, the cameo, the supporting cast was, was great. Um, I thought Joyce, even Joyce Chan, uh, the, the, the daughter of Lydia Shum, of course. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I forgot to mention her. Yeah. And she, she has some really good moments. I wasn't really looking forward to seeing her. And yes, in some moments, she has that, that really annoying best friend vibe to her character. But I thought she had some really funny moments um, as, as Charlene's cousin, I believe. Um, and of course, Wan Cholam is great, and I and I usually don't like Wan Cholam in movies. I thought he was really annoying, connected, but here I thought he was great as the 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 um, foul mouthed neighbor who who apparently talks a good one, but actually is really a nice guy. Um, the however, the romantic rivals uh, they're really meh. I didn't care for the 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 guy nor the girl. Um, they're both they're both. Um, Mandarin speakers, uh, even though actually the, the guy who going who started going Charlene wasn't outright a mainlander. Uh, he never spoke Mandarin in the film, but yes, he, you could tell from his Cantonese that he wasn't a native, a local. And of course, the 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 um, other romantic rival is a is a girl student from the mainland who's a supermodel. And yeah, like you said, it's very nice and otherworldly, but and does but doesn't force herself on him and super nice. It's very strange, um, but it, and I could understand why they didn't want to throw out too many obvious throwback or connections to the previous movies because um it is it has been 10 years and um there is a good chance that many of the mainland audiences or actually mainly even the audiences going to the film now hasn't seen the original hmm. um so it's kind of a little storm rider situation where they want to they want to kind of set it up as a, its own film but of course they want to also you know connect it to original so so I didn't notice that many reference to the original film, but apparently Kozo did. So um, yeah, apparently it, it kind of served both both audiences. Um, at the end of the day, I have fun. You know, 
I, I like like Kozo said, I enjoyed it more than I was supposed to. I felt like it was a little long, and and again, Charlene's kind of annoying, and some of the comedy's a little grating. But uh, I laughed, and I laughed a lot. So, but in the end of the day, do do I want a third movie? I don't really care. Um, you know, I like Ikin and rom coms, and and um, I like the next Hong Kong romantic comedy as much as the next person. Um, there's another if it does well, that's great because it's a local movie doing well. And if it earns a sequel, that's fine. But if it doesn't, it wouldn't really break my heart or anything. So um, in the I didn't hate it. So I, I still I would give it a TV it, not a really solid TV it, but a, a VCD TV it. <laughs> well, that's something. Uh, Kenneth in the chat room. Yes, who directed the sequel? Yes, James Yuan directed both films. Uh, he also co-wrote this one. He brought in two other writers on this one. So, so uh, yeah, he directed it, but he only co-wrote this film. Well, is the is the chat room actually people talking in the chat room? Because I've got nothing. Really? <sighs> yeah. The, the the last bit of chat I had was uh, before we started the show when Kenneth was asking about Weibo. Oh, okay. So it wasn't loading for you. Okay, okay. I really but yeah, that, that's the question. Justin, uh, I guess I should bring up something from early in the show. Then uh, uh, Tina Lau uh, mentioning uh, Guillermo del Toro wants to know if if everyone has seen the Pacific Rim trailer in their local cinema and the posters. Uh, the the answer here in Hong Kong is none at all because um, there hasn't been a Hong Kong version of the trailer at all. So. Yeah. Um... All, all it, internet it, here. It, I think there is a Taiwan version of the trailer, but but uh, none, none of that promotion started here. There's, yet there's no pro- posters there's or anything up. Uh, yeah, everything's been on the internet. Uh, well, hello to people in the chat room. I apologize if I'm not interacting, but my chat screen is dead. So uh, just say a quick hi. Well, let us move on though, and because uh, we're running tight on time, and uh, talk about our West Screen film. East Green, West Green. All right, so for West Screen, at long last, the prequel to Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings film trilogy uh, starts off this holiday season with The Hobbit. Um, so there, there's a lot to talk about with regards to The Hobbit, and there's certainly, from the technical side, there are people who are criticizing it for a number of reasons. There are some criticisms from the narrative side as well, and I think we'll try to touch on um as much of uh, as much of that as we can without like spending an overly long amount of time on that um but basically the hobbit tells the story of bilbo baggins uh in his younger days and the film actually starts off with the older bilbo uh played by ian holm once again uh relating down his adventures his earlier adventures in a book which he intends to leave uh, for Frodo. So that gives us uh, some very nice cameos by both Ian Holm and uh, Elijah Wood, who both, um, I think in, in the case of Elijah, now uh, about a decade or more older uh, from when he originally uh, created the role, they said they had to go in and do some CG to get rid of some of his wrinkles. I mean, wouldn't that be nice if they could do CG for all of us like that? Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, uh, so it starts off in uh, sort of the 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 later time period, the, the Lord of the Rings time period, but then it jumps back as he's re- relating these adventures to uh, his younger days. And this is when we meet um, uh, Bilbo as played by Martin Freeman. And so in his younger days, of course, the story 
is set set up by uh, Bilbo being visited by the wizard Gandalf, also played once again by Ian McKellen, and uh, asking Bilbo if he would uh, like to accompany him and uh, 13 dwarves uh, led by Thorin Oakenshield, who's played by Richard Armitage, on an adventure uh, to help the dwarves to recover their fallen kingdom uh, from the dragon smog. Um, initially, Bilbo's, of course, very reluctant. Being a hobbit, he likes the comforts of home and a good cooked meal and his uh, hobbit hole that he calls a house. Uh, but something stirs within him, and he decides to head off on this adventure. And so what we get is the first part of what is going to be a three-part uh, film series based on a single book. And so that's kind of the first point of contention that a lot of people have, is why did Jackson take what initially is a short story in comparison with The Lord of the Rings and drag it out? A lot of people have said, it's a money grab, you know, it's an attention grab, it's a lot of other things, and uh, maybe you'll feel this way, especially if you know the content of The Hobbit, and you were, you know, you've grown up reading it, and especially if you've uh, encountered some of the, for example, the Rankin-Bass uh, cartoon version as well. Um, I would say that the movie is fun, this first part, and but it is also a bit long-winded, um, there's a lot here added that were, was not in the book as I remember it. Uh, now there's some claim that he's gone to other sources, some of the appendices from Lord of the Rings, and I guess some of the material from the Silmarillion, and to bring some of these elements in to help extend it, but not being an expert on that, I can't really point to things and say, yes, this is truly part of the universe, or no, this is Jackson taking a lot of poetic license. Um, but there is a lot added if you compare it, especially with the Rankin-Bass cartoon. Um, the parts that I recognized and that I looked forward to, I really enjoyed. The parts I didn't recognize, I tended not to care for all that much because I was more anxious for them to get to the parts that I, was that I recognized, that I was waiting <laughs> for. And what this really included was a lot of time spent with uh, this villain, this character who's set up as a big villain, uh, who's an albino orc, who's, uh, you know, I know how they're positioning this character as sort of a an iconic character um, opposite of Thorin Oakenshield, uh, who's the leader of the dwarves uh, and the potential king of the dwarven kingdom they're going back to. Um, there is also Radagast the Brown, who is one of uh, the wizard order, of which includes both Saruman and Gandalf, and he's played, uh, interestingly enough, by a former Doctor Who uh, actor, Sylvester McCoy, who I really like. Um, and I thought his portrayal of Radagast was, was interesting. I just didn't think that the time they spent with Radagast was as interesting as, as I wanted it to be. I, 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 you know, during his parts, I was like, okay, this is new and fresh, but get to the parts I know. Get to the stuff I want to see. Um <clears throat> The other problem with this for me is that it really takes away, because they spend time on these other areas, it takes away from getting to know the dwarves better. Uh, the dwarves, the 13 dwarves, they're each supposed to have sort of their own personalities, and you get to know a couple of them, you get a lot of time with Thorin, and I'm guessing that what they plan to do is to reveal some of the dwarves' personalities a little bit more clearly over the next two films. Um, at least that's, I hope that's what they're doing, because... 
you can uh, you get some screen time with a couple of them, but not a majority of them uh, in this first film. Uh, and so a couple of them are pretty much taking a back seat, uh, both to Thorin and to Bilbo. Thorin, I can say, I didn't really care for that much. And in part, it's because I think that they're trying to position the actor, you know, Richard Armitage, who's a very handsome guy, um, as perhaps the beefcake of the film, at least until Orlando Bloom shows up in part two. Um, because Martin Freeman, I mean, he's a nice-looking fellow. He's a great actor, but Bilbo as a character is not an action-oriented character. He's not there for eye candy, you know, that, uh, you know, for, for the male aspect of eye candy, you'd say. And so they've kind of taken Thorin, and they've... He's he's a leaner dwarf. He's, again, the, the, the heir to the kingdom, and he's an action-oriented dwarf. But when I think of dwarves, I don't picture them like him. I mean, some of the other dwarves are, are fat and bulky and stocky, and you think back to um, the role played by John Rhys Davies in the film, and uh, Gimli, and I, that's what I think of when I think of a dwarf. But I think that they've kind of... Um, They've kind of made him too human in the way that, that he looks and the move and moves and, and less dwarf-like. And so I really didn't... That was one aspect I didn't really like a lot. Um, the other thing that kind of bugged me was the Goblin King, who's my favorite character from the cartoon. Um, and here, I don't know, they, they gave him a really weird kind of video game-esque design. And, you know, the Goblin King is basically supposed to be a goblin... So you see these creatures that are goblins, and this goblin king doesn't really look anything like the goblins that he's the king of. And um, for some reason, he just didn't work for me. The voice seemed a bit weird and, and a bit off, and some of the dialogue. Um, and again, that's probably my expectation carrying over from uh, the animated, ver animated version a bit. Because he was, when I was growing up, I always looked forward to the scenes. It was very short scenes, but the scenes with the goblin king. Um, <clears throat> so by the end of this film, it kind of ended where I predicted it would end. Um, I won't say where it ends if you haven't seen it, but I, I, I was saying in myself, all right, if he's going to break this into three films, I think he's going to end film one at this point. I have an expectation of what he's going to cover in film two. And it makes me really wonder about film three. Um, if, if like Lord of the Rings, you know, the third film is supposed to be the biggest film of spectacle, he's going to have to have a whole lot of filler for <laughs> film three, um, to go in with that. Because if what he's going to, if what I'm expecting is what he's going to focus on in film three, there's not a whole lot to that, right? Um, so if he's going to make, an, make all of these like three hour movies, he's going to have to pull out a lot of filler. So I'm interested to see where... He goes with that. Um, I guess the other point to talk about, too, is the the HFR technology, the high frame rate. I know there's a lot of controversy about there. I've been talking about it with some people on Google Plus and in some other circles as well. Um, I know that there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of div division with regard to HFR. Um, basically, if you're not familiar with HFR, he's basically doubling... Uh, the 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 frame rate I guess is the best way to say it. Most films are played back at 
24 frames per second. And so what they're working with now is 48 frames per second. Now this isn't like what they do when they speed up the camera and give you slow motion effects like the Matrix. Um, it's still playing at a standard speed, but you're getting a lot more visual information. Um, the, the good sides are that, especially for the 3D films, it tends to brighten up the picture. There's a lot more clarity and um, you get some enhancement to resolution a little bit. The downside is that because of the, all that extra information, you can start to notice things. You can start to notice, for example, when um, you know visual effects don't match with the scene. You can start to you, you get a little bit into what some people call the uncanny valley with regard to you know creature constructions like Golem or the Goblin King, where they don't where where it looks so real that it starts to be unreal. Um, <clears throat> you also get. Um, some problems with the the makeup and the, the special effects. I mean, the physical props uh, looking, you know, not as real as they could because they're not actually real. And uh, some of the some of the costuming. Some people say that it gives it sort of a soap opera esque look, but I yes. really think that this is going to depend on. It's going to depend on your own perspective, your own vision. Now, as I for for myself, I have a big problem with a lot of 3D movies. I don't see them clearly. It's in part because of the way my vision operates. Um, I often get sort of a uh, a doubled effect on sometimes, and I have to concentrate to get rid of that, even with the glasses on. Um, and I did not have that problem at all in this film. And so, yes, I mean, I did notice that you know not all of the scenes were as 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 well integrated as they could be. Um, but overall, I really appreciated having sort of the brighter, uh, the brighter overall look, um, even though I was wearing glasses, and um, just the better resolution for you know some of the, especially for some of the more landscape esque scenes, you might say. Um, is this technology perfected yet? Of course not. Um, but it's a step, and I like the direction that it's kind of going. I know that you're going to have other areas and other departments that need time to catch up. You know, you need special effects have to learn how to work differently. Props have to learn how to work differently. Makeup artists and lighting has to learn how to work differently. But the same is true of HDTV. And, uh, and I've talked about this, uh, I think, before, where when television shows are made, made, started making the shift to HDTV, they were still using the old techniques of standard TV, you know. And you could see makeup lines and you could see uh, a lot of problems because of the details that were now showing up. So you, these you know, these departments have to learn new techniques and they don't always have access to the technology right away like the cinematographers and the directors of photography do. Um, so it's going to take them time to play and experiment. And this technology is still very expensive and it's pricey to use. But, um, you know, I, I, I liked seeing what I saw and I'm, you know, I know it's not perfect and hopefully they'll be able to do better with successive films. The real question I have is because they're shooting these films together, is Jackson going to be able to make any improvements now based on some of the criticisms uh, to the next two films? Or is most of that already shot and in the can and being processed? And is he not going to have any flexibility uh, within the next, you know, uh, three years to make any improvements to this stuff? Um, so questions still remain. But I'd say if you prefer fantasy to fiction, you know, so because we've got what is it, Les Miserables? coming uh, on Christmas Day. Uh, if you're going to pick one movie and you, you prefer the fantasy-esque side, I'd say it's still a great movie to see uh, during the holidays, so see it. Mr. Ma, give us your take. 
okay, well, might as well connect it with the high frame rate issue because I don't want to get into the movie and then suddenly get back to high frame rate. Um, personally, okay, I saw the high frame version. I didn't watch it in IMAX. Did you watch it in IMAX, Paul? Or no, I did not. I watched it at a regular cinema. Okay. And that might be another issue as well. No, actually, I don't think it would be because IMAX, it just blows it up yeah. to a bigger size. And I don't, I'm not sure if that would be an issue. But I saw it I saw on a slightly bigger screen. I saw the um, MCLJP here in Hong Kong, which is one of the biggest screens in Hong Kong, um, in 48 frames. But to me, it, okay, to me, the high frame rate, yes, it, it really enhanced certain things. Like, the, like you said, the landscape shots look gorgeous. Um, I remember this one shot of uh, two dwarves walking up a snowy, snowy mountain, and they're like, usually in film, they'd be like two dots, and you wouldn't be see, able to see much details. Um, it's a helicopter shot. But here, they're as clear as the mountain that is across the ridge. They're as, as clear as the snow, that the, the white light from the snow being reflected in the sun. And, they, they, and they're giving just as much detail and look stunning. Okay, and even the, the, some of the special effects stuff, the monsters and uh, the slow motion stuff, um, in forty eight frames, look also looked very nice. But like you said, um, it really was way, 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 way too TV like for me because I guess someone uh, as someone who's who grew up watching Asian television, Asian television dramas, watch, seeing these shows that are shot in this kind of frame rate, um, kind of higher frame rate, not really the so called film look. I associate that really clear, um, no, blurless, um, clean look as, as something that's from TV uh, to me. And and it was almost like, like you say, and I quote again, like you said, it's so real that it looks fake. Um, not because what they what not, not because the, the the special effects were unconvincing, not because the the um, the sets look faked or anything. It's because it was almost too clear that personally when I'm watching, I have a sentimentality or I'm trained to look at things in 24 frames and I'm used to a certain look with, with film, even, even digitally shot films have, has a certain, you know, motion for, you know, a certain look for motion and certain look for um, um, camera movement, a, a certain look when they, when they went in coloring and things like that. So when, when I saw the high frame version, when, when everything was so clear that it's like looking at glass, looking like you're sitting behind a piece of glass and you're seeing things happening right in front of you, like they're real things, it, it's almost too real that I can't buy what I'm watching as a film, if you know what I mean, if yeah. that makes sense at all. Yeah. I'm not sure. But so, so for me, yes, some, some of the stuff really stunned me and it looked really beautiful in parts. But for me, aesthetically, it is not somewhere I would like film to go to. Um, I I might not mind seeing uh, uh, um, future blockbusters in in actually in two D, forty eight frames per second. Um, I remain I remain convinced that this film did not need to be in three D, and that I'm sure Warner Bros. Um, uh, intentionally did not offer a two D forty eight frames version because of that soap opera argument that. Oh, it looks like TV. And a lot of people, it looks like, essentially, it looks like I walked into a Hong Kong Records and sat there and watched the movie, watched the movie on their HGTV for three hours. Um, because a lot of those TVs, they, they have, uh, they modified the film, the, the, the Blu-rays, the Blu-ray players or the TVs. They have a setting where they can turn films into like a, a fake version of 48 frames per second where they take away the film look 
and make it look really clear and really sharp um and and, and almost that whole two almost like looking too real element to yeah. it to 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 any film yeah I've and, seen, and i think i've seen a uh version of uh ip man 2 or no ip man 1 where they did that and it really did look like a like you were saying like a, a chi- regular chinese soap opera right and I, I, yeah i've seen uh i think yesterday i was at hong kong records and they and they showed the ending of uh and uh the born legacy uh in that in that kind of visuals and again it was the whole like too real so real that it's fake uh thing and i and i it, maybe it's sentimentality maybe it's because i'm trained to see it maybe it's an aesthetic choice i don't know but personally I don't like the 48 frames because of that. Not because it made me queasy, not because the technology sucks. Technology is great. Like I said, technology is great and looked great. But I, as, as an aesthetic choice, it's not something I would like to see film go to. And I would, but I would still recommend people check it out so they can make their own judgment. Um, because it really will be, it really will differ from people, you know, person to person. And um, I think it's interesting too, that it'll be interesting to see what they do uh, come video release time. Yeah. If they will have a single version available, um, or they'll have two different versions or two versions on the same disc as sort of a selectable option. Uh, I don't think any of the home theater, consumer home theater equipment right now can handle a real 48 frames version yeah. because that requires a 4K projector or a 4K, a, um, a TV, a 4K TV. And that right now is way too expensive. Mo- most TVs right now are actually all actually TVs now are at 2K. At the most, and Blu-ray players also play at 2K. So a 48, a real 48 frames 4K version is right now impossible. Um, but yes, there may be they may include that version on a separate Blu-ray because it would take up way too much space. They may sep- include it as a separate disc on a Blu-ray. This is a, a one of especially those especially, especially if you think thing. about um, you know it was like ages before you finally got the Blu-ray extended edition set of Lord of the Rings. Right, it was like years after standard video releases and things so i mean if we we're if we're talking you know i don't know uh, six years down the road you know three years after the films the, the last film was released is it feasible that at that time these this technology gets a little bit more affordable maybe so i don't know well, it will be i mean it, it's gotten very quickly i think sony is already making a 4k this made a 4k projector and i wouldn't be surprised if a 4k tv is coming but um Broadcasting standards won't be raised up to 4K, of course. Um, it took years to even move America up to 4K, uh, 2K, and Hong Kong still hadn't set a date to cut off analog broadcasting yet. So TV standards aren't going to be raised, but uh, I'm sure home theater, um, there will be home consumer, you know, pseudo relatively affordable uh, home theater equipment for the 4K version uh, in the future, maybe in the next four or five years. Um, so that will happen, and... And you know, I think everyone should watch it to make their own to you know make their own judgment. I don't think I'm gonna I'm not gonna tell people not to see it. To me, it was strange, it was stunning, but it was strange, uh, distracting, and it's not something that I would like to see all films do. But I would give other films using the technology a chance, um, and that's what I think about High Frame. Which sounds like I haven't really taken a side, but I think I've taken a relatively moderate side yeah. to this technology um okay now the film yes uh, i have not read the book sorry i i missed it the book always sat on like a shelf in the classroom middle school and never read it um i came to america too late for that i think um 
one one Lord of the Rings was three books. I confirmed this with Paul, so I know for sure. <laughs> Lord of the Rings were three books. Um, but The Hobbit is one book, which means there's one book split into three movies. This, yeah, it, it it it. So I really felt the padding here. Um, they haven't. It's almost like a video game, you know, like they have different bosses, uh, multiple mo- monsters and trolls and whatever they have to deal with, and they haven't even killed the first boss. Yeah, but see, that's where you're. That's where you're wrong. Okay. Yeah, they did kill the first boss. Oh, you the, just, you just, you trolls? just, you just got confused as to who the first boss was. Okay, so I got yeah. confused who the first boss was. Yes. Okay, but if it, it was like, okay, you think, <coughs> you know, you think that at the end of, you know what I mean? Kind yeah. Of, you know, no, kind I know what exactly. I mean. what and you of course, mean, yeah. you're right that they're probably setting that character up for something else. Um, um, but I guess yeah, it felt like okay, they didn't really get to that many places after three hours. You figured they would get a little further. I'm not sure. Maybe that is me. Um, but the journey is pretty. Is it, the journey of the character of Bilbo as a character, you know, uh, is fairly clear here. His development is is very clear. Um, it's not boring. I don't think it was boring. It just felt very long. Um, two and a half hours. I mean, it was a hundred. I mean, the credits were apparently sixteen minutes long, and I'm unfortunately I didn't stick around for it. So it was like one hundred and fifty five minutes anyway. But it 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 was just long. Yeah. Um, Lord of the Rings for me is more interesting because. The ring was served as a wild card. It, it kind of it kind of kept threatening to throw the journey off, and I found that more interesting. It added a lot more drama um, to the adventure. The Hobbit felt like a straight up adventure, um, and and I think an adventure that didn't need to be this long. Um, so so for me, Lord of the Rings is more interesting, and I'm sure you know Paul. It sounded like you probably agree with that. I think. Well, I mean. Although Lord of the Rings did branch off to a lot of digressions, but also in a way, it's, it, it earns that yeah, kind of it, storytelling. It, Lord it earns of, the 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 nineteen hour of storytelling. Yeah, Lord of the uh, Rings is, the is 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 technically a, a big war movie, right? That's what it's about. It's about it's about uh, these societies, you know, emerging into war, and the burden that you know the the these young people who are not warlike end up having to take upon themselves to to help sort of contribute in a sense but you're right in that the hobbit especially if you go by the book or the old rankin bass cartoon is really about an adventure um and unfortunately because of all the sort of the backstory they're pushing in here um with uh, a lot of the elements that are hinted at in places but never really shown in the story that um they're they're tying they're they're spending a lot of time tying it back to the lord of the rings rather than focusing on the adventure this is supposed to be about bilbo and his transformation from being this homebody who knows nothing but comfort and lazy days you know smoking his pipe and uh cooking good dishes and these kinds of things and, and having sort of this safe but very dull kind of existence to going out into the world, experiencing the world and being on an adventure with these dwarves and, and overcoming the challenges and, and and the dangers. And unfortunately some of that does end up taking a little bit of a backseat to the talkiness and the history and um, you know, uh, some of, some of what ends up going on with some of the supporting characters. And I'm kind of okay with that, but I'm just hopeful that as we get into the, 
second and third film that it starts to get back towards more that adventure aspect. But I'm afraid because of all this filler we're getting, and a lot of the filler is, again, what's tying it back to the Lord, or, or tying it forward, I, guess, I should say, to the Lord of the Rings, that it's detracting from what's supposed to be sort of this grand adventure. Yeah, I think Lord of the Rings is all the digressions are okay because I I've been watching rewatching the trilogy and in Two Towers they essentially branch off to three different plots and that's okay because you know that it's gonna go somewhere because they always have a, each of these storylines have a goal right yeah uh, even when they're branching off here it feels like okay they talk about this they're walking they're walking they're walking and suddenly it goes off to a different character and then it's go back goes back to them walking walking walking. And then another character, and then they go walking, 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 and then they they fight some, they fight some people, and then they walk, and then they, another character. It, it feels like the, the the digression. It feels more like they're padding. It feels more like filler, more than you know, like it's going somewhere. It, and and it, I, I'm not sure if you got that kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there there's there is a lot of filler. Uh, yeah. That that's it, this could this film could be seriously trimmed down, and I think you'd get a perhaps a somewhat. Um, pacier flow without losing a lot of the information that's there. Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of the information feels like, okay, yeah, we should show this because, you know, it's interesting or, well, we should show this because uh, the fans would want to see it. Um, and I wouldn't, actually, I would not like to see an extended version of this, unlike, you know, <laughs> the Lord of the Rings movies. Um, but anyway, it is one of those things that you have to see. It's a big event movie and it's, you know, it's The Hobbit. So, I mean, who hasn't read The Hobbit? Who's not me except me? Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but of course, how much the question is how much are you willing to sink for it? How much money are you willing to pay for it? Here in Hong Kong, not only do people have to pay the extra 3D, 3D surcharge, they also have to pay more money because of the length. Yeah. So, um, and I think, the, I think if you go for the, how much, if you go for the uh, HFR version, that's even more too. Yes, because it, the, the, the 4K projectors cost money. Yeah. So, um, so the theaters are, are, are really, really looking forward to, to getting the money back. Um, so how much are you willing to pay for it? And personally, I saw the 48 frames as an aesthetic curiosity, blah, blah. And I had to watch it in 3D and I watched it in a nice theater. Um, there are even some theaters in Hong Kong who are not doing the, the 4K, the 4K uh, high frame version and are charging more money than certain than, than some of the theaters that are showing the, the, the high frame rate version. Yeah. That's how much money they're willing they they're, they're looking to make back on it. Um, personally, if you're just vaguely curious and you know feel like you have to see it, I would catch a 2D version, um, the most basic one, and that is available. Um, for those who are aesthetic, who really care about film aesthetics and, and want to know what this 48 frame is, and um, and like I said, don't trust my take on it or don't trust Paul's take on it. Watch it and I think make your own judgment because it really depends on what you prefer to see in the film. Yeah. Um, absolutely don't take my don't, don't, don't take my take on it because I've got terrible vision so. <laughs> <laughs> and I took off my glasses to yeah. put on my 3D glasses so yes uh, really it, it really becomes an aesthetic choice um, I think neither of us none of us no one we know got dizzy from it um, yeah, my, my wife and, said my wife said she felt dizzy afterwards right oh really but during neither one of us you know even though there's some some you know some sweeping aerial movements and things um, and there are a couple scenes where there's a, there's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of action, not really shaky cam style action, but you know, there, there's some stuff that jumps around, but we, neither one of us had a, had a problem, but I'd say like 
Maybe when we were walking away back to, towards the train, she said she was feeling a little bit dizzy, but nothing like, you know, Cloverfield dizzy. Um, yeah. Cloverfield, when I watched the, when I watched the normal projection of Cloverfield, I, I didn't have a problem. When I watched the digital projection of Cloverfield, I got sick and my friend got sick too. And we had to kind of like avert our eyes for a good portion of the film. And that was the second viewing. So we kind of knew what to expect. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. so, um, yeah, the, the high frame will affect some people. Um, also for what is worth. My, my, it was my dad's um, second 3D movie ever in his life, and he was like blown away. He did, he knows nothing about Lord of the Rings. He knows nothing about The Hobbit, um, and he sat down, watched it, and he said he was he was blown away um, by the story, by the whole thing, uh, by the whole experience. He didn't bring up the 48 frames because he didn't really know how to make a comparison. But uh, even by the 3D, he was quite blown away by it. So yeah, it, it really it depends on on what you. It, it's a very subjective thing. So. Um, yes, it is one of the things you have to see, but of course, again, consider how much you're willing to pay for it, and it will vary from person to person. So, this is a very uh, uh, broad, ambiguous C slash TV it. <laughs> I know. If you're not really that curious, and if you don't care for the Hobbit that much, um, don't 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 spend too much money. But you should see it just to be caught up. I guess you know it is a big blockbuster. Um, but of course, if you're really curious about it and you're a big fan and you want to see it in the best possible way, check out the High Frame Rate 3D version for sure. All right, there you have it. The Hobbit. Check it out. All right, I think it is time for this. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Kongcast.com for more. All right, uh, I think that's going to do it. I was going to do a video pick of the week and talk a little bit about Halo 4 Forward Under Dawn, but I'm going to save that for next time because we are pushing the two-hour mark uh, <laughs> and because we're just totally off our game after two we're, weeks. No, off. we're over long like The Hobbit. <laughs> yes, exactly. Off. We're totally playing. It's intentional. Yeah, uh, we, we, we meant to do that. Um, so, yeah, we'll talk about that next time. Um, no real comments in the time we've been off. I know people probably got bored and said, oh, these guys aren't doing any work. They're being lazy, so we're not going to comment. Uh, but uh, if you would like to be part of the show, you can head over to our website at congcast.com. That's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T.com. Uh, or you can hit us up over on iTunes. Um, you can uh, you know, drop us some feedback there. We'd be happy to hear from you. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, whether you love the show or you hate the show. If you want to follow us on Twitter, uh, the, the show Twitter is twitter.com slash concast, where we post occasional updates, when we're going to be streaming, when we're not going to be streaming, these kinds of things. Um, you can follow Mr. Ma over at twitter.com slash thegoldenrock for updates about, you know, what's going on in the film industry, especially for, with Chinese films. Um, if you have interest in that, I urge you to follow him. Uh, you can hit us up on Gmail. Gmail uh, as, is uh, eastscreen at gmail.com. Uh, drop us a question. Drop us a comment. Uh, even pop us over a short audio review of something if you're interested. We'll play that here on the show. Um, and we are on Facebook, facebook.com slash eastswests. Um, so if you're on the Facebook, and I know many of you aren't now after the whole Instagram kerfuffle, 
Uh, but if you're still there, you can look us up over there. And if you're on Google+, Plus, uh, drop me a line. If you're going to be in Hong Kong at some point in the future and you'd like to come out for one of our movie nights, um, one of our movie group events, uh, I can hook you up in that little uh, small semi-private circle because uh, we don't broadcast that out to the public because uh, we don't want to spam people that we're going out and watching Hong Kong movies because we know most people don't care. Uh, Stitcher, you can catch us on Stitcher, listen to us on your iPhone, your Android phone, your BlackBerry, and your WebOS phone. Stitcher is smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at stitcher.com. Stitcher Smart Radio, it's the smarter way to listen to radio, and we thank them for their support of our little show. Additional thanks go out to Rob Gobbers of Schnauzer Studios for our theme. And let me say this, he's got a new studio album that's coming out sometime in January, and I will try to plug it again here on the show. But um, if you like the kind of stuff that you hear as our theme opening and closing music, um, if you've ever heard any of the work he's done for Scott Johnson, uh, just do a Google search for Schnauzer Studios and head over and, and check out some of his work because um, uh, I love the stuff that he does. I love the theme he created for us. And uh, if you like that, you can check out some of his other, other work and help support him uh, You know, as a working artist. Uh, all, additional thanks go out to Ross Chen of lovehkfilm.com. And um, let me say keep an eye over on the lovehkfilm.com website because in the very near future, the results of the best Hong Kong films of all time should be going up. Is that right, Kevin? It's already gone up. One, one, one entry's gone up for the films and one entry's gone up for performances. Yeah, and so they're going to be going up, was it updated weekly or? Periodically. Periodically. Um, honestly, yeah. I would, I would, I told, I've told Kozo to slow it down because it's been really exhausting him. Yeah. It really puts a lot of effort into writing these things and people, and I hope that people do appreciate his work because it is a lot of votes, it is a lot of writing, it's a lot of photos, it is a ton of work yeah. and, um, and 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 I, I told me to take take it a little slower uh, because it is very tiring. Yeah. Um, and and this is the yeah. this is the last of of the you know the, the voting things for this kind this, of thing. So as yes, it, this know, is the ultimate vote, and it is a very big, the moment. big vote. And yeah. and he's reviewing two hundred films. So um so people put a little give a little uh give a little space for for Mr. Kozo. Give him a little breathing room. Um, kind of slowly take in what you're getting right now and uh. And uh, just patiently wait as 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 um, these re these results come out, and it will be worth it. Trust me, yeah. it will be worth it. Yeah. Additional thanks to our very own Kevin Ma, the K Man, for sticking with us for all these episodes, 133, soon to be 134 episodes, and of course you, the listeners, for being out there and listening. Whether you're among the chat room right now, sorry, I cannot interact with you, chat room. I can't see who's there and who's not. But thanks for being there. Hopefully, I'll be able to catch you next time. And hopefully someday Justin TV will fix their web interface and make it cool. Um, but thanks for you guys for being there. Thanks for listeners who listen to us in podcast form, whether it's on the website or through any other form. We appreciate you all. And I hope you all have a, a wonderful and happy and safe holiday for sure. Uh, what are we going to be talking about next time, Kevin? We should be talking about Chinese Zodiac, the new the new film from uh, uh, Jackie, Uncle Jackie. <coughs> yeah. Uh, Jackie Chan, um, sorry, Jackie Chan. Yeah, yeah. Uncle Jackie. Um, um, and also, uh, we'll be no not until Christmas. Yeah, actually, we'll be talking about the Bang Two. Ah, uh, yes. Khan. You're gonna see the Bang Two, and uh, maybe Le Miz. I don't know if I'll be able to see that before uh, the next episode or not. Uh, but uh, we'll have some of that to talk about, and perhaps some other stuff as well. Uh, all of that and much more on our next show. Until then, this is East Screen, West Screen, wishing you all good viewing. Have a happy holiday. 
and we'll see you next time. See you next time, everybody. Talk.